You are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. All right, so we are in Acts chapter 8, and we're a part of a journey kind of going through uh, the entire uh, book of Acts. And it's just good to remember kind of where we are in the story. The church is 21 years old. So as we're reading these stories, as we're coming face to face with these moments in this book, it's just, it's helpful to remember that. Like the church is not already grown up. The church is 21. So I found a picture of myself when I was 21. Curious if anybody wants to see it. There's 21-year-old Dave. I'm very cute. I'm wearing a t-shirt that says, I'm retired, fishing is my job. So this was the last year that I wore this t-shirt because what ended up happening about a year-ish from this moment, got engaged and got married, and that t-shirt went to pasture. (laughs) But when I see this picture, like I look at, like, at this point in my life, like I'd been through some stuff. Like, I'd had some, some hard moments. Like, I'd had to navigate some really difficult, really confusing, really sad times in my first 21 years of life. And some incredible moments filled with joy and celebration and laughter. Like, even... You know, being in this building, there's some apartments just right across the way that a good friend's dad owned. And so in high school, we would take the opportunity to hop the fence and go swimming in the pool. And we didn't exactly have permission. That happened kind of before this picture. But also when I look at this picture, I think about the stuff that I didn't know I was going to walk through. I'm pushing 40, and so it's been some time since this picture. And I think it's just good tonight, as we come to this book, and some of you in the room are like, 21, are you joking? I don't even remember 41. I understand that. It's all good. But as we come to the scriptures tonight, man, it's just good to know that the thing that you can hold on to, like the thing that can anchor your life, is not the season of life that you're in, not the stuff that you know, but Jesus is the anchor of our life. So like no matter where we are, no matter what we're navigating, no matter what we're thinking through, that it's the promises that he's spoken over us that we can hold on to and claim. It's how he has shown up in our life and in our story that brings stability and hope. And so as we come to Acts chapter 8, it's just good to remember the church is not all grown up. The church has experienced some stuff. But there's a lot more for the church to experience. Also good to know there's kind of two ways 
that we can come to the scripture. So is the book of Acts, we can kind of read it in a descriptive way. And if we read it in a descriptive way, then it's like, well, like we're just being told this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. And you can kind of come to the Bible like that. Like it's just a bunch of this happened moments. But we can also come to it in a prescriptive way. Like this is what we're called to. And so it's helpful when we come to the scriptures it's not only here's what happened, but it's also this is what we're called to. And we find that in the book of Acts. So the context, we're going to read the scripture in a minute, but the context of all of this tonight is that the church is under persecution. Like the church is in the middle of hardship, in the middle of darkness, in the middle of uncertainty. Because the government has turned its attention towards the church and has made it difficult for them in the first century. And so Acts chapter 8, I'm going to begin reading in verse 4. The heading in my Bible says, Philip in Samaria. So those who had been scattered, they're scattered because of the persecution, preached the word wherever they went. And Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And then Simon the sorcerer. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. Anybody got that person in your life? And all of the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were himself, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they arrived, they prayed for them because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart's not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me, 
so that nothing you have said may happen to me. And when they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So Samaria. Like there's lots of conversation in the scriptures about Samaria. I think we have a map that Bam's going to put up for us. So this kind of red section is Samaria. And so we've got Jerusalem, Bethlehem in the south, Cana, Nazareth, Sea of Galilee in the north. And when the scriptures talk about going down to Samaria, you're like, feels like maybe not. If you're in Jerusalem, feels like you would go up to Samaria. It's kind of like when we talk about where we're going, right? We kind of talk about like, oh, I'm going to go up there when even you're traveling south. I know some of you are guilty of this. This is just kind of how we talk, but it's the reason for that is the elevation. So when we talk about going down to Samaria, you're going down in elevation. It's like a two-day walk from Jerusalem, from kind of where they are. So they spend two days and they go into Samaria, and Samaria is this complicated place. It's complicated because 750 years before this moment, Assyria comes into northern Israel and conquers it and deports most of the Jews. Like the higher and middle class Jews are deported and what's left are the lower class Jews. And then people from all over the region are brought in and they intermarry and the Samaritans come from that group. And so if you are a Jewish person in Jerusalem, you want nothing to do with Samaria. You want nothing to do with the people that live there. In your heart, you've already decided who Samaritans are. Like you've already decided their worth. You've already written their story out for them. You've put the period, you've closed the book, and you've put it on the shelf in your own heart. And I think the Bible continues to bring up Samaria for a reason. Because I think it's possible for us to view people who come from a different place, who have a different language, a different system of thinking, as their story already having been written, having already decided their worth, their value as people. If you're a Jew living in Jerusalem, you've understood Samaritans as different, as unfaithful to the law of Moses, like pushing against the Torah, and also understood Samaria as a dangerous place. But in verse 8, something really incredible happens. There's great joy in the city of Samaria. Like there's something incredible happening, and the incredible thing that's happened is that in the middle of the persecution, Philip goes down to Samaria. Like Philip's this Greek person, so he's like, I don't have anything in my heart towards Samaria. It's interesting to me that Philip has this openness toward the movement of God. 
And so he goes to Samaria and he talks about the Jesus story. Like there's this man who has come and there's a man who served and performed miracles and he gave his life and he's coming again. And the promises that he has spoken over you can be your anchor. It's not just words to hear, but it's words to live into. And the people in Samaria come to faith in Jesus. And there's great joy in the city. But then in verse 9, we meet a magic man, Simon the sorcerer. And he performs all kinds of magic in the city of Samaria. And he did it for a really long time. I don't know if anybody knows any magic tricks in the house tonight. I'm guessing there's at least somebody who has an uncle who can do that thing with your thumb. You know what I'm talking about? I had a grandpa who could do that. And every time we got together, he'd be like, where's my thumb? And it grossed me out. And I've still not been able to figure out how he did it. But there's magic going on in the city, and this is an issue if you're a Jew. Like, this is a big no-no. We're not talking about card tricks or the disappearing thumb, right? Like, we're talking about really intense magic happening, like calling on a different name than Yahweh for acts of power. Because if you're a Jewish person, Like, you call on Yahweh, because why? Because Yahweh brought you out of Egypt into the land of promise. Like, Yahweh rescued Daniel from the mouth of the lion. So you call on him, not on other names. There is one name under heaven. But people followed him because he had amazed them with his magic for a long time. And he's got a reputation in the city, but something incredible happens in verse 13 is that Simon believes, and he's baptized. And I love that it talks about follows Philip everywhere. Wherever Philip goes, astonished by the great signs and miracles. And I just just want to pause here for a moment just to say out loud that Jesus has a long, long track record of pushing against strongholds that have been standing for a long time. Jesus has a long, long track record of pushing against giants that have been standing for a long time. So when Jesus shows up, he pushes against the shame that has been a part of your story for a long time. When Jesus shows up in the story, he pushes against all of the labels that you have lived into and under for a long time. The question for Jesus is not how long it's been standing. The question for Jesus is, are you willing to receive freedom from this giant? And so while the Samaritans have been living under this for a long time, the Jesus story comes into their story and they find life and meaning and wholeness. And then in verse 14, Peter and John, they're sent from Jerusalem to Samaria. So now it's not just Philip 
and the magic man and a bunch of other people walking around Samaria. Here's these two Jewish dudes, Peter and John. They hear about what's happening in Samaria, and they're like, hmm, really? Feels like that's a very unlikely story. That actually sounds like something that Samaritans would make up, that there's something good going on in the city, that the Gospels come to Samaria, and there's great joy. So they come to find out for themselves. So they take the two-day journey. And verse 15, I think, is so powerful. We could spend 40 minutes talking about it. We're not going to do that because chips and salsa. But five words at the beginning of the 15th verse. When they arrived, they prayed. When they arrived, they prayed. Not when they arrived, they made a strategic plan about how we could get more people to receive Jesus. When they arrived, they prayed. That was not the second thing they did, the third thing they did, the fifth thing they did. The first thing they did, when they arrived, they prayed. Prayed what? What did they pray? Out of all of the things they could have prayed in that moment, they prayed that the people would receive the Holy Spirit. Not that they would be blessed. Not that they would be protected. They didn't even pray for understanding. They just prayed for the Spirit of God to do something. For the Spirit of God to show up. And I just think if you're a parent in the room, like is there a better thing that you could pray over your kid than that the Holy Spirit would fall? Like if you're a kid in the room, is there a better thing that you could pray over your parents' life that the Spirit would fall on them and the Spirit would take hold of them and do something powerful in their life. Like if you're a friend in the room, like is there a better thing that you could pray over another friend you have in the room than that the Holy Spirit would fall on them? And then that spirit would give wisdom and life and direction and purpose and power. When they arrived, they prayed. And I just wonder, like this week, you're going to arrive some places. Starbucks. The office. You have to kind of say it like that, the office. Your driveway. And I just wonder if you'd be willing this week that when you arrive somewhere, before you decide what's going to happen, before you decide what you're going to say or how you're going to show up, like I wonder if something would happen in us and in the places that we're going is if we would follow Acts 8 verse 15 that when we arrived that we would pray that the spirit would fall because I don't know about you but as I think about myself like I'm likely going to be in some conversations this week where the spirit's going to need to fall 
And that's a me thing. That's not an anybody else thing. And then verse 19. Simon the sorcerer says, I'm going to pay you for the Holy Spirit. Because look at all this magic that's going on in our city, and I love magic. There's nothing cooler to Simon than magic. And so he says, I'm going to use the currency of power to obtain power. So however it is you're doing all of this stuff, I will pay you for it. And then Peter and John just look at him and they're like, the kingdom doesn't work like that. You don't use power to obtain power in a kingdom where the king gives his life. In the kingdom where the king comes to serve. In a kingdom where the king gets on his knees and washes the disciples' feet in one of the final acts he will ever have on planet Earth. The kingdom doesn't work like that. Isaiah 55, verse 1, we're told how the kingdom works. Come all of you who are thirsty... Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Simon, the kingdom doesn't work like that. They seem to say, you know, like, Simon, your search for applause and power is killing you. Like, you misunderstand that applause has formative power, that if you're looking for recognition, the Spirit is not going to produce that in your life, and you can't buy it. And it's interesting that Peter is saying this, that applause has formative power. And Peter didn't learn that on a webinar. Peter learned that in the streets of Jerusalem. As he got caught up in a story not rooted in the way of the kingdom, but in the way of power. Because what does Peter want Jesus to do? Peter wants Jesus to take a strike at Rome. Because Peter's been waiting for the Mashiach, the Messiah, to come and to save his people. And so I think Peter sells out Jesus at the end of his life not because he's greedy. I think Peter is selling out Jesus at the end of his life because he wants to prompt Jesus to attack Rome. And so I think Peter believes that if I put Jesus into a corner where he doesn't have a choice but to attack Rome, then maybe finally... He, like in the old days, he will do to Rome what God did to Pharaoh. But the kingdom doesn't work like that. It turns out you can't actually paint and push the creator of all things into a corner because he owns every corner. And he decides what he's going to do. And then that's the end of the narrative there's this cliffhanger 
And what does Simon do? What becomes of Simon? The sorcerer. I think Luke on purpose kind of has Simon the sorcerer walk off of the page of scripture. And we're left uncertain about what he does. Something beautiful as we close tonight, I'm about to band band up in a minute, not yet. Acts chapter 8, I think, teaches us that when you are suffering, like you will turn to something. I think it teaches us that when you're angry, you will turn to something. I think it teaches us like when you're overwhelmed, you will turn to something. When you're feeling lonely, you will turn to something. And Peter and Philip and John say in this narrative that I have turned to him again and again. That we're not turning to some other power, we're not turning to magic, we're not turning to a government, we're not even turning to a religious system. Like we're turning to Jesus. We're not turning toward an idea, we're not turning toward a doctrine, we're turning toward a person. A person who has spoken some promises over us. What are the promises? Oh, I don't know. That I will fill you with my spirit in the place of your suffering. That I will fill you with my spirit in the place of your anger, in the place of your overwhelm, in the place of your loneliness. And so the question remaining is where we're going to turn because we're going to turn somewhere. So Simon, don't turn to magic. Turn to the name of the Most High, Jesus, the true Savior of the world. And so what does it mean to be turned towards Jesus, as Peter and Philip and John have said they have done again and again and again? I think part of what it means, we're going to know that we're turned towards Jesus when there is a promise from him that we are claiming over our life. Not looking for a promise outside of him. But Jesus, what is it in this moment that you have promised me? So there's a promise that we're claiming, but there's also a question we're wrestling with. Like Jesus is the king of the universe. He's also the king of questions. So he will ask his disciples, hey, why do you worry Who do you say that I am? And so, church, we know that we're turned toward the Holy One, towards Jesus, when there's a promise that we have to claim that He's spoken over my life, and also having a question that we are wrestling with. And I think if we can grab onto that, having a promise to claim, having a question that we're wrestling with, I think that pushes us towards Samaria. I think that pushes us towards being used in the hand of God for something really beautiful and something really meaningful, something really amazing. And I think what that produces is great joy. Because great joy comes to the city when the people of God are turned toward Jesus. Like not turned inwardly toward ourselves, because, I mean, here's the deal. Jesus is not the first one who said, hey, come and follow me. 
And Jesus will not be the last one who will say, come and follow me. And so he invites his disciples to come to a table. Why? Because there's a promise that he wants them to claim, that he has spoken over them. And the promise is that you belong with me. And so in John chapter 15, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. Apart from me, it's going to be hard. But remain in me, as I have promised to remain in you. And if you will do that, I'm going to bear fruit in your life. But then there's a question to wrestle with for the disciples at the table. Like it doesn't feel, this doesn't feel like victory. Like you going to Jerusalem and you giving your life. Like that feels like defeat. And so I think if we will walk with Jesus, walking with him with a promise to claim over our life, and also a question to wrestle with. That's part of what it's going to mean to have a life that's turned toward Jesus. And so the church is 21 years old today. A lot that it doesn't know. Having experienced some things. But I'll tell you what, as a 21-year-old kid, like I had a promise to claim in that season of my life, had a whole bunch of questions that I was wrestling with. And church, can I just tell you, like, there's a lot of beauty in doing that. To wrestle with these words and to claim the promises that have been spoken over our life until we come again. And the Spirit will be kind enough push us towards Samaria into people's stories that we in our minds are already written, already done. Resurrection is the engine that powers purpose and mission. And so there's a prayer that we like to pray as we come to the table, and it just goes like this. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. Damon, put that up for me, please. Yeah, one more. It's okay, I can read it. It's in my Bible. It's not part of Scripture, but... And it's to be made ready for those who love him and who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been for a very long time. You who have tried to follow and you have failed, come, because it is the Lord who invites you. Bam, I probably didn't put it in there, so just so the church knows, my fault, not yours. All right. I'm going to invite the band up as we close tonight. I also want to invite uh, Taylor and Jeremy up. They're going to help me uh, serve communion. Uh, I'll have you guys come over on this side. Uh, that'd be awesome. There's that. Awesome, 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 great, awesome. Um, so the way this is going to 
work really well is if we don't use the center aisle, because what happens if you use the center aisle and this one, then you have to do a zipper merge, right? That kind of happens right over here. So let's just agree together. Uh, we're going to come down uh, this aisle here um, and that aisle over there, and then you can kind of return on the outside. Uh, that'll kind of keep um, things moving. Dylan, will you help me serve uh, over here too? There's that. Let me pray for you, and then I'll invite you uh, to come and receive Jesus, we're grateful tonight for uh, your table and for the place uh, that we have at it, but also just recognizing that there's room at the table too. And that room is just to signify the unfinished work uh, that is to take place in the world. Oh God, would you uh, prompt us as we claim the promises over our life and as we wrestle with the questions of our life, that, that would cause our lives to bump into others. And God, the result of that would be joy and meaning and purpose as we proclaim your victory over every square inch of the earth. So God, thank you for your hands. Thank you for your voice. And God, thank you for your spirit tonight that calls and equips and forgives. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. If you are in need of a gluten-free uh, option, I'm also going to be holding that. So if you need that, come over on this side. Um, it's in a fancy white bowl. All right. So uh, please, uh, please come and receive from the Lord's table tonight. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.